But before we get into that, let's open up in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much that we can come together this Lord's Day to be able uh, to worship you, Lord, to be able to open up your word together, to be able to learn from your word and to be able to grow from your word. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as a church. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us remove any distractions that we are having right now. And Lord, um, let us put that aside and let us be able to focus on you during this time. Lord, I pray that as we open up Colossians together, Lord, that you would be growing your church, Lord, that you'll be strengthening your church and, and reminding us the goodness of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would be with me, anoint me for this task, and Lord, help me now to speak clearly and help me to speak powerfully. And Lord, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you understand the gospel? If I were to ask you right now, if I were to put you on the spot right now and ask you to tell me what the gospel means, what would you say? Could you do it? I remember earlier this year, we were given such a task. My classmates and I, we were asked, if we were to present the gospel message, what would we say? What would we include? And most of us came up with similar answers. We said something on the lines of, God made the world perfect. Have a sin and rebellion distorted God's perfect world. God was then going to punish sin. He was going to then punish human rebellion. And all those that have sinned and rebelled against God were under His righteous wrath, under His condemnation. But God, in His great mercy, sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die for sin. All those that then believe in Jesus are united to Him and one day will inherit eternal life. That's the answer we came up with. What do you guys think? Would you agree? Would you disagree? Would you say more? Would you say less? Would you say something completely different? I can't help thinking to myself what the Apostle Paul might say if he was sitting here right in front. And I wonder to myself, I ask myself, if Paul was right here, what kind of score he would give that answer, how he would rate that answer. And I can't help thinking that he would say something on the lines of five out of ten, maybe six. For the Apostle Paul, friends, the gospel message is so much more than just Jesus dying for our sins. For the Apostle Paul, the gospel message is the complete work of Christ. Let me say that again. For the Apostle Paul, the gospel message is the complete work of Christ. And it's this gospel message that Paul wanted to remind the saints of Colossae. Here in our letter, Paul is writing to the Colossians. And the Colossians were predominantly Christian Gentiles who had converted away from paganism and were now worshipping the one true Lord, worshipping now Jesus. Let me give you a little context on the city of Colossae, a, a bit of context for uh, during this time. About, let me first go back those three to four hundred years, actually. About three to four hundred years before Paul was writing this letter, Colossae was a thriving city. It was heavily involved in the wool trade. 
It was thriving. We're actually told at one point that 2,000 Jews actually came to live in the city of Colossae. However, by Paul's time, the time when he's writing this letter, it is no longer a thriving city, but more of a small town. However, given that history of what happened three to 400 years prior, Colossae is still a town that is diverse in culture, it's diverse in religious views. And because of that diversity, friends, there are pressures then on the church in Colossae. There are pressure on the Christians there. There are pressures to conform to either Judaism, paganism, and some consider maybe even some hybrid, some conflated view of the two religions. This is why it's considered that Epaphras, Epaphras is who we read about in verse 7 of our message, came to Paul, went to Paul who was in Rome, about 60 to 61 AD, asking for help, saying that there is a need for you to intervene. There is a need for you to use your apostolic authority to intervene and help the Christians that are facing pressure, facing pressure to conform. And so this is why Paul writes to the Colossians. He's writing to them to help them with the pressures that they are facing now. And how does he help them? Well, he helps them by reminding them the complete work of Christ. He reminds them the gospel message. For the Apostle Paul, the best offense he can offer them is a great offense. And the greatest offense he can do is to be able to remind them the gospel message. So the main idea of our, of our sermon today, the main thrust that we'll be going for, is the question, or the statement I should say, is that we should know the power of the gospel. Let me say that again. The main focus of today's message is to know the power of the gospel. And today we'll do this by looking at the following two points. Our first point, the gospel is God's power to save. And our second point, the gospel is God's power to mature. Let me say that again. The gospel is God's power to save, and the gospel is God's power to mature. Let's have a look at our first point, shall we? The gospel is God's power to save. To do this, we'll be looking at verses 3 to 8. How does the Apostle Paul start in verse 3? Does he start off by telling us the power of the gospel, how it is great, how it is powerful. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. Let's have a look at verse 3 together, shall we? What does verse 3 say? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul starts off by giving thanks to God, giving thanks to God when he prays for the saints in Colossae. And what does he pray for? Verse 4, because of... Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for his people. Paul is giving thanks for the faith that the Christians in Colossae have. The faith that has what Christ has done in them, that he has changed them, that he has taken them away from paganism, and now they are worshipping the one true God. And a faith in Christ, what does it produce? Well, it produces a love for Christ. And a love for Christ is a love for his church. Here in verse 5, we are then told where this faith and this love come from. Verse 5, the faith and love that spring 
from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel. This faith in Christ, this love for the saints, comes from the hope that is stored up in heaven. What is this hope that you might ask? Well, this hope is the promises of Christ. The promise that Christ will return. The promise that Christ will raise the dead back. It is the resurrection. It is the day we look forward to when the new heavens and the new earth are here. They have come. And God, once again, dwells with His people. This is the hope we look forward to. Revelation 21 actually tells us that when God dwells again with His people, what will happen? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. For these former things have passed away. This is the hope we look forward to. This is the hope that created in the saints faith in Christ. A love for all the saints. This is the hope we look forward to also. Our hope stored up in heaven. The hope of eternal life. And we've told right here, also in verse 5, that this hope has been shared and understood in the word that they received, in the gospel message. Friends, the gospel message talks about hope, but it also talks about so much more. And the gospel we find here in our passage is actually the main source of Paul giving thanks here in verse 6, it says that, Paul, that the gospel has come to them. I find that interesting. That Paul says the gospel has come to them. The Colossians, those, those Gentiles, didn't go looking for Christianity. They didn't one day say, I'm dissatisfied with worshipping Zeus. Let's see what our options are. No, they didn't do that. The gospel came to them. Paul actually opens up in the beginning of our letter also that it's the gospel that came to him. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. It's God's will that Paul was changed. We all know the story of Paul's conversion, don't we? Acts chapter 9, Paul is on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden he's hit by a bright light. And what happens? Jesus comes to him. Jesus speaks to him. Jesus converts him. And then Jesus sets Paul apart to minister to the Gentiles. Paul is God's chosen instrument to preach the good news, the complete work of Christ to the Gentiles. It's also God's will that the gospel is going out to the whole world. Look again at verse 6. The gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. It's the gospel that's going out. It's the gospel that is growing and increasing in our world. When I read something like this, I can't help but think of passages like Mark chapter 4. You know the parable of the sower? And we're told that the seed that was sown in good soil produces what? produces 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold that was sown. That's what God's Word is doing in our world. 
when it's planted in good soil, it is growing and increasing. This image also of growing and increasing, it, it creates an image in our heads, doesn't it? creates an image of a tree that continues to grow. It continues to flourish. I actually remember I'm growing up, we had a kumquat tree in our backyard. Do you know kumquat trees? They're like little, like little oranges. And um, they're, they're, they're a citrus fruit. And in our backyard, for many years, this tree, it would not produce fruit. And then all of a sudden, one year, we notice something. It starts bearing fruit. It starts growing. It starts flourishing. And then year after year, this tree just grows even more. It flourishes more. It produces more fruit. Every year, it continues to bear more and more fruit, more than the last. This is what the gospel is doing in our world. It's continuing to grow. It's continuing to bear fruit. And it's, and it's not us, friends. We're not responsible for growing it. But it's God who grows it. It's God who does the work. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that he was but a tool used by God. He planted the seed, but it was God who made it grow. God God grows the gospel. God makes it increase and multiply. My question to you now is, do you know this? Do you know that the gospel is God's power to save? Do you also know that God is doing the work? And do you also know that the gospel is Christ's complete work? Friends, this should bring comfort to us, shouldn't it? That our salvation doesn't rest on something we have done. We didn't choose it, but God chose us. Our salvation rests with Him in the work that He has done. That should comfort us. That should encourage us. And it should also encourage us to continue the work that God does. He uses tools like Paul, like Epaphras. He uses you. So be encouraged to share God's Word knowing that He is doing the work. The book of Isaiah tells us that God's word will not go return to him empty, but he will use it for his purposes. He will harden hearts, but he will also soften hearts. God's word has the power to soften hearts, to change people and transform them. So be encouraged to share God's word. Be also be comforted by the gospel message that God saves. Our passage here also tells us that it has been growing and increasing since the Colossians heard it. This means that God's word, the gospel, the complete work of Christ, just doesn't save, but it also matures us. We come to our second point now. The gospel is God's power to mature. We're looking at verses 9 to 14 for this. Often when we think about the gospel, we know so easily, it comes very natural to us, I think, oh, not, not quite natural, but it's easy for us to remember that Christ saved us, that he died for our sins. We, we know that, don't we? But we can often forget that Christ continues to do the work, 
that He continues to intercede for us, that He continues to mature us, that He continues to grow us. I actually remember not too long ago, I heard a testimony of a young lady. And she was saying how she had grown up in a Christian family, that she had heard the message of Jesus throughout her life. And then she shared how she had become a Christian during her time at university. She then proceeded to say that since then, she has been doing this. She has been doing that. It, it irked me how, much, how often she actually had used the word I. I am striving to do better. I am striving to conquer my sin. And that upset me of how often she had used the word I. But you know what irks me most? Do you know what upsets me most? Is that I'm no different to her. How often do I use the word I? How often do I say that I am now striving to do this? I am working towards that. How often do you also fall into the trap of doing that? Saying to yourself, now that Christ saved me, I must now pick up where he left off. His work now rests on my shoulders. I must continue the work he started. But our passage isn't saying that the work now falls on us, that it now rests on our shoulders. What does our passage remind us? What is it saying? Well, look how the Apostle Paul prays for us. Look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What is Paul praying for? Well, he's praying that they will be filled. Filled with the knowledge of His will. Filled with the knowledge of His will with all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What do we see here? We see that God is the agent. We are the recipient. He is doing the work and we are receiving the work. We're not told, go and pick up the pieces. We are told to receive. We are told to be filled. We are told that we need to allow God, we need to allow Christ to continue the work that He started. And we're told also here that this work will change us. That it will transform us. Verse 10. So that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It's the Spirit that changes us, friends. It's the Spirit that allows us to do good works, to no longer live for sin, but to live for God. To no longer live in our ways, but in His ways. The Spirit will increase our knowledge of God. It will help us to bear good fruit in all the works that we do. I ask myself, if God wasn't working in my life, could I live for Him? If God wasn't working in your life, could you live for Him? Some of you might say, well, we have the Bible. Couldn't we deduce for ourselves? Couldn't we open up His Word and find out what God's will is from that? Well, 
I would say that's not what happened to the Israelites, is it? The Israelites had God's word also. They had this. And for many, they had even seen the mighty works of God with their own eyes. And yet they still lived in disobedience. They still rebelled. They still shook their fist at God and said, No, God, not your will, but mine. It's only when we have the Holy Spirit, when we have God working in our lives, that we can live for Him, that we can produce good works. Calvin in his Institutes actually said that the Holy Spirit is like a pair of reading glasses. That when you have the Holy Spirit, you have the reading glasses that allows you to read God's Word, to be able to understand God's Word, and to be changed and transformed by it. If I didn't have the Holy Spirit, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, could we really live our lives for God? I think it would be impossible to do so. Friends, I know how to sin. That comes natural to me. But living for God, without the Holy Spirit, impossible. So pray that God would continue to transform you. Pray that you would continue to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Pray that you would continue to be matured and transformed by God. Here also in verse 11, we see how God is continuing to work in us, how the Holy Spirit is continuing to change us. What does verse 11 say? That we may be strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience. The Holy Spirit is also strengthening us, strengthening us with all that Christ has done, reminding us the complete work of Christ. And it's also strengthening us to have great endurance and patience. What is this great endurance and patience? You guys know? Well, let's take a step back and remember the context of those in Colossae. What's happening in in Colossae during this time? Well, they're being bombarded by pressures to conform. Pressures to conform to either Judaism or paganism or maybe even some view of the two. And we are told here that we can endure these pressures to conform. They can endure these pressures to conform by being reminded the gospel, by being strengthened in the gospel, being rooted in the gospel, and to have patience by having their eyes fixed on the hope that is stored for them in heaven. They have their eyes fixed on the hope that Christ will return. Christ will restore. The resurrection will happen. We will one day live with God. We will dwell with Him and He will dwell with us. Have patience and endure. That's such a great reminder for us too, isn't it? We're living in a time now, aren't we, where I think times are changing. Where there is now around us a pressure to conform. We're we're still free to worship. We're still free to meet together, to have our Bibles open together. But I think there's a pressure on us to change our thinking, isn't there? I think there will be a pressure, I think even in our own lifetime, there will be a pressure on us to change how we worship. And perhaps we won't have the freedoms that we have right now. 
But friends, the only way that we can endure, the only way that we will not conform to this, is being by, by being strengthened, is by being rooted in the gospel, reminding ourselves what Christ has done, and reminding that He is continuing to do the work. Be strengthened by the gospel. Have patience. Have your eyes fixed on the hope that we have in Christ. Verses 12 and 14 now of our passages give us a beautiful, a beautiful reminder of the complete work of Christ. Let's read those verses together. Verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a beautiful message of what the complete work of Christ, the gospel message, that we have been qualified by God. We have been chosen by Him. We've been rescued by God, rescued from our sin, that Christ has died for us, that He's redeemed us. And it says also here that He has transferred us from the dominion of darkness, where we are no longer living for our sin, living for self, but it transferred us to the kingdom of His Son, where we are now living for Him. As we live in the kingdom of His Son, He is maturing us. He is growing us. He is strengthening us. He is giving us patience until either we are called home or Christ returns. Christ has redeemed us, friends. He took our punishment on the cross that we might live that we might be reunited to the Father, reconciled to Him, be in relationship with Him again, have one day eternal life. When we stand before the Father, what will happen? He will see us forgiven, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. All our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. When we appear before the Father, we will appear spotless. What a great message that Christ has done the work. He has done the complete work. The gospel message is beautiful, isn't it? God's power to save and God's power to mature. So how, friends, shall we leave today knowing and being reminded that the gospel message is God's power to save and God's power to mature? What should we do? How should we leave Well, can I encourage you to do what Paul is doing here and to pray. Pray that God would continue to work powerfully in His creation, that the gospel message will spread, that it will continue to grow and to increase. Share the gospel with those that don't know it yet. You are God's chosen instrument. You are a tool that He uses, and He is going to make the gospel grow. He will do the work ultimately. His word will not return to Him empty but it will do exactly as he's purposed. And friends, repent. Repent for those times when you have said, Christ, not your will, but mine. Let me do the work. I will strive to do this. I will strive to do that. Repent for those times. And then pray for the church. Pray that God will mature his church. That the church will be filled with all knowledge of his will in wisdom and understanding, all that the Spirit gives. Pray for God's church. 
pray that God's church will be strengthened, that it will be rooted in the gospel, rooted in all the work that Christ has done. Pray that we will have patience, that during these changing times, we will not conform to those around us, but that we will remain firm in our faith, grounded and rooted in the gospel. And on that note, let's spend some time in prayer now, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you so much for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for its power to save us. Lord, we thank you for its power to mature us. Lord, we do thank you so much for our revealing um, to us the work that Christ has done. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this. Father, we do pray now that your gospel would continue to work powerfully in your creation. Lord, we do pray that you would give us also a heart to share the gospel with those that don't know it. And Father, we do pray also forgive us for the times when we have said that we can do the work ourselves. Father, we pray for this church. We pray for your church, Lord, that you would continue to fill us with the knowledge of your will. Lord, with understanding and wisdom, all that the Spirit gives. And Father, we pray that we will be strengthened, that we would have great endurance, that we would have great patience. Lord, that when um, those around us are telling us to change, that we will say no, that we will remain rooted in the gospel, strengthened by the gospel. Lord, we do pray that you would remind us just the, the power of the gospel and all the work that Christ has done. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.